Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 12 and also Matthew chapter 24. Daniel chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 24 in a Bible study that I've entitled Understanding the Times, part one. Understanding the Times. Ignorance is defined as the lack of knowledge or the lack of information. Ignorance means to just simply not know something. I know it gets used in a negative way. You're ignorant and, and really sometimes people are actually using it to, to, as a replacement for the word dumb. But the word ignorance doesn't mean dumb. The word ignorance means lacking information, not knowing something. And it's interesting in the Bible that not only is the Bible a revelation of the nature and the character of God to us, but also the Bible is a revelation of knowledge that we need to know. There are things that we need to learn. That, that culture shouldn't teach us, that the school system shouldn't teach us, that, that the society norms shouldn't teach us, but that God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to teach us from the Bible. And actually, there are three things in particular that the Bible emphasizes where God says, in the old King James, he uses the phrase, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant. In the New Living Translation, which we've been using in our study in Daniel, it talks about understanding these things that God doesn't want you to be ignorant of, or these things that God wants you to understand. Number one, he wants you to understand spiritual gifts. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities or the spiritual gifts that God gives, I don't want you to misunderstand this. God wants us to understand the power and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He wants us to grow in that understanding and grow in that submission. That He doesn't want us to approach our relationship with God like we approach other things, like, like we've been taught. I can do this and I'll be... No, he wants us to approach it with no, God will do it for us and in us and through us. And he will supernaturally, supernaturally, above and beyond our knowledge and our ability and our talents and even our acquired knowledge, God will supernaturally empower us and equip us and use us to accomplish his will on the earth. Don't be ignorant. Don't misunderstand spiritual gifts. Number two, God doesn't want us to be ignorant about his plan and purpose for the nation of Israel. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I want you to understand this mystery. Dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of the Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved, as the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he'll turn Israel away from ungodliness. I don't want you to, I, I don't, listen, believers, followers of Christ, God says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Don't misunderstand this. God has an eternal purpose and plan for Israel. And what you're seeing now is a temporary blindness. 
until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And you find that there's great debate and argumentation over spiritual gifts. And there's great debate and argumentation over the nation of Israel. And I wouldn't even say there's great ignorance over spiritual things. And there's great ignorance over God's plan for Israel. And thirdly, God doesn't want us to misunderstand the end times. The rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. I don't want you to be ignorant about how the end times will come to a close. I want you to know, God says. I want you to know of spiritual gifts so that you will learn to depend upon me. And I want you to learn about God's plan, my plan for Israel. I see God saying so that you'll learn to trust in me. And I want you to learn about the end times. Listen, this is very important. Take these notes. Maybe this is a new time to reset how you sit through Bible study and take notes. God says, I want you to know about the end times because I want you to look for me. I want you to look for me. I want you to find me. I want you to hasten my coming. I want you to want me to return. And of course, in the church today, these are the things that everyone's arguing about and neglecting. And the, the root issue is that we're, not, that we're ignorant, that, that we refuse to listen, to receive. And so we would rather argue about things than do what's necessary to submit ourselves to God. And I think you can make a case for that for a lot of things in our lives, where instead of just dealing with the facts that are in front of us, we'd rather make it an argument We'd rather get in a fight. We'd rather have some kind of superiority instead of showing preference to one another, uh, even in the body of Christ. And the question today for us is, are you ready? Do you see the times in which you live? Or do you understand the times? Do you have a grasp of the days in which you live, even now? And you'll remember now in Daniel chapter 12, just by way of review, it says, at that time, this is verse 1, the, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise. Then there'll be a time of anguish, greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Now I think we're going to spend some time in a future study just on that verse. The value and the beauty and the joy of living an evangelistic life. That living in such a way where you realize your role as in this culture is to share the love of Jesus Christ, both practically and verbally. And there's a great reward where those who are wise will shine as bright as the day. Those who lead many to righteousness are going to have this everlasting shining eternally. To know that someone's eternal life has been dramatically changed because of you. Not just pastors. Not just evangelists. Not just elder spiritual leaders. All of us have the responsibility 
And that, that's, that's encouraging in and of itself. The last days. This is set in the context of the last days. And remember we learned that the last days began at the day of Pentecost. Because at the day of Pentecost, Peter took that opportunity of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and, and the indwelling of the Spirit in, in and upon the believers and, and the, the beautiful birth of the outward work of the church. Peter says, These, this is what's happening. God said this was going to happen. God said in the last days, he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. You go, what do you mean the last days? Yeah, right here. You see it right here. And it began, and now here we are, have been living in the last days for 2,000 years. And of course, that bumps people out. You go, wait a minute, if everybody believes the that, that they're living in the last days, then, then why should we live that way if every generation has come and gone and come and gone? And, you know, my grandmother was talking about that, and, and there's this note in the big Bible that my grandpa was talking about, and now here we are, another generation. But listen, anyone that chooses to live as if the Lord is coming back at any time will benefit from living a holy and a righteous life. You will benefit. You will not benefit living for yourself spiritually. You will not benefit only thinking for yourself. And we have the last days upon us. You notice he says in verse four, so what Daniel was given, that we've taken all this time to study, you Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Seal up the book. Until when? The Bible says the time of the end, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Jump down to verse nine. But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I've said is kept secret and sealed until when? The time of the end. And many will be purified, cleansed and refined by these trials. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. The wicked will continue in their wickedness. And as discouraging as it is to see wickedness abound, it's not unusual. And it's not a surprise. And I know had I not been born again myself, I would have been a wicked man continuing in my wickedness. And I don't know exactly how it would have ended. I don't think it would have ended very well. The path and the projectile of my life. But God can save a wicked man like me he can save wicked men and women today. God can save a rebellious person like some of you, stiff-necked and unwilling, then God can still do that work today. And there's still hope. So let's flip over now to Matthew chapter 24 because Jesus prepared his followers for the times of the end. And this is known, if you're taking notes, as the Olivet Discourse as the chapter here is an answer to a series of questions. Notice in verse one, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now hold your place in Matthew. Turn real quick over to Luke chapter 21. In Luke 21, we have questions that were asked. And we could put those together. But notice in Luke 21, pick up with me in verse 24. <clears throat> Let me see. Uh, 
Jesus told them the temple would be destroyed. They wanted to know when. And the, the question of when the temple would be destroyed is here. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. And those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out. They must get out. And those in the country should not return to the city. Now notice Luke 21 verse 7. Teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? And what sign will show us that these things are about to take place? So they're looking at the temple. They're wondering when's this, well, what's going to happen here? Jesus gives them the answers. You put the gospels together and he's pointing out the various temple buildings. And he says, look at all this. It's not going to stay. This, this is not going to last. And they say, well, when's it going to happen? And what's the sign? What's the sign of the end? What's it going to look like? How will we know? And as I mentioned earlier, how will you know? Like, like it's almost as if as you are watching the news and captivated, maybe overwhelmed, maybe frustrated, maybe angry, maybe worried, maybe fearful. Uh, all the emotions that are coming up by what we're seeing happen in the world today just being able to watch and keep on abreast of everything that's happening. One of the things you need to look for is where things line up biblically and prophetically and understand the times in which you live. And, and it's as if each time we have these studies, if you're not convinced yet, what will it take to convince you? If, if you haven't believed, if you haven't come to the collusion, you're one of those maybe watching online, listening on, on the radio, like, you know, it's still all prophecy, prophecy. You guys at Calvary are all into prophecy. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've just been listening late, lately, and that seems like all you're talking about is prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. You know, what, what is this? And, and it's like, are you not convinced yet that the Bible is true and that his word is true? And that we're watching things unfold that even the disciples wanted to know about. Even the disciples wanted to see what you and I are seeing today. And as they ask questions, it's a good thing to bring your questions to God. He isn't offended. Jesus is not offended by their questions. He actually chooses to answer them. As they asked questions, they were really searching out the reality of their life. And it's important to ask those questions, but also when you ask a question, be willing to accept the answer. Be careful when you're asking questions to expect an answer that's going to be, and then when you don't get it, you get frustrated. You go, well, that's not what I wanted. No, what you want is the truth. What you want is the truth. And we need to be willing to receive the truth. And God is willing to give the truth. And I do believe prophecy is important. And you're right. If you think of our church as into prophetic, you're right. We're not only into the prophecies of God, but we're also in God speaking forth his word in a dynamic way to minister to us right now in the moment. But when it comes to predictive prophecy, the Bible's filled with it. The Bible places a high emphasis on prophecy, which really for us today, the high emphasis that we would place on prophecy is that we would believe God at his word. That we would not doubt God at his word. And, and when doubts come back, we can point back and go, no. Look at the first coming of Jesus Christ. And the prophetic importance of all that he fulfilled. So, well, you know, I don't really believe. Uh, what we're about to read, you know, I don't really believe it. Because it's prophecy and it hasn't happened yet. Well, I suggest to you that a lot of it is happening. At least in a prelude to the end times. 
at least like show you that it's possible for these events to happen with great intensity. But the Bible is filled with prophecy and we trust God at his word. And we've studied this in depth, so I'm not going to go into depth, uh, into depth today because we looked at it before. But consider that over a fourth of the Bible is prophetic and the second coming of Jesus Christ is a popular topic. 1,800 verses is the way they arrange the Bible. Over 1,800 verses speak of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's the dominant theme, the coming, second coming of Christ, or the second coming of Messiah, is the dominant theme in 17 Old Testament books. Prophecy is important. And there are those today that say prophecy is worthless and meaningless. And they'll study other things and leave the prophetic books alone. They might even teach... You might have been in a church or heard a pastor like teach that prophecy, just don't even, don't even get into prophecy because it's a waste of time. And I just want to say very emphatically with as strong of a voice that I possibly can, prophecy is important to your spiritual life. The word of God is important to your spiritual life. You can't just pick and choose what parts of the Bible you pay attention to. You can't just take, like, like some today, they've taken the book of Revelation and they've made it a big metaphor with no substance. Now again, the book of Revelation is filled with pictures and types, but it was given to a man for a purpose. Even as we consider the culture today, if you just relegate the book of Revelation to just, you can interpret this part, but you don't like that part, and maybe this is true, and maybe, if you approach the Bible like that, then you become the authority. You become, you take something that's authoritative, and you become the authority. Now, you may approach this with, with less important books, like, like you might be re reading a novel, or maybe watching a movie. I know our family has a movie that we just don't like the way it goes. We just don't like the way it goes. It could have ended better. And so we're like up there going, it should end better. Even yesterday, we were saying, it should end better. I don't like this part. As if we made the movie. We didn't make the movie. That's not how the author intended it. We may want it a different way. So we'll talk to the TV and we'll be all upset. And Siri's talking to me right now, so leave me alone. <clears throat> And we'll be mad. Maybe you're reading a novel and you're getting to the last pages and you're like, you think you know how it's going to end and then bam, it ends a different way. And then you get all mad and this is not the right way. I don't want, well, you didn't write the book, so deal with it. It's not your book. You want to write a book? Write a book. But the book in your hand has an author and that author had an intent. And even a movie, a movie that you're watching was written by and produced and directed for a purpose. That's why they put it out that way. They put it out that way. You, you aren't the authority of that movie. You're not the authority of that novel. And on a much more important part of your spiritual life, you are not the authority of the Bible or the author of the Bible. God is the authority in your life whether you submit to him or not. And he's the author of the book, whether you believe him or not. You see, truth is truth whether you believe it or not. You're like, oh, I don't believe that. All right. But you even think of that, you, you think of that absolute statement that's being made and then your response is, I don't believe that. Well, the statement still stands. And when God makes a statement in his word, he means it. And he loves us so much that he would predict in advance 
the things that we need to know for the days in which we live. And that's what he's doing in chapter 24 here. The disciples are bothered. They're unsettled. Or like we learned at a different time in their lives in John 14 when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. They, they're upset. According to Mark in chapter 13, it says Jesus was leaving the temple that day. One of his disciples said, teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at these impressive stones in the walls. And the temple was glorious. When you come to Israel with us in 2021, we will take you down into the rabbi tunnels under the western wall and you will see the stones. Uh, and really the western wall is just a retaining wall of the big temple mount. You know, we don't have the stones from the temple. They don't exist. But you'll see the massive work just of the retaining wall in order to build the temple up on what's known as the temple mount. It was massive and a beautiful. And what had happened is that, that they had created a, an idol out of the temple. It was that impressive. Josephus tells us that the stones were 40 by 20 feet. And it was magnificent to see. And above, you know, most of the people that would come to Jerusalem lived in villages. And in very small homes, so you come, it's, it's sort of like somebody, like what we would consider today, somebody, you know, uh, going, living out and, and growing up on the eastern plains here in Colorado in a very small town, way off the beaten path, off I-70 somewhere, and they got an all-expense trip. Their first trip out of small town Colorado was to Manhattan in New York. And what an overwhelming sense that would be. I mean, even those that have been in a city, when you go to Manhattan, you can be overwhelmed by the immensity of that. And so you, you get this sense that you're leaving there, your little village, you're coming to worship, you have God on your mind, and the temple was magnificent and overwhelming. So for Jesus to say that not one stone will be left, it says in verse 2, on top of one another is startling. It only unsettles them more. So when's it going to happen? Which make, when's this all going to happen? When are you going to come back? When, when is this destruction? And Jesus began to describe the last days. He says in verse 4, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Verse 7. Nation will go, against war, go to war against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. And so before we see the signs, notice the key in verse 8. The key in verse 8 is all of this is only the first. This is just the beginning. In the New King James, the beginning of sorrows. And I think it's properly translated in the New Living Translation, birth pains. That's how he describes it. When you begin to see these things happen, these are just the beginning. And he describes it like birth, like birth pains. And our, our fellowship has, has been very fortunate over the years to see many babies born and, and to watch families go through the process of, of pregnancy and the baby developing. And when a woman 
is going to give birth toward the end of, of that time of pregnancy, there are signs. You can tell. You, you'll notice that a, a woman is getting bigger in one particular place. And you'll notice that she begins to feel the movement as the baby stretches and grows. And then you notice that there is general growth of that baby and general growth of that area for nine months. And then toward the end, you can anticipate labor pains begin to come. First, they, small, they start out small and infrequent in the beginning, but over time, they become more intense and closer together. And listen to me, I'm speaking as if I have experience in this. I have had three children, um, but not this way. And it's the frequency, any mom would tell you, it's the frequency and intensity of those pains that will tell you that the baby is soon to arrive. The frequency and the intensity. Because when you read Matthew 24, you could say that we've always had these things. We've always had these things. We've always had these things. And in some cases, you're right. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been skirmishes and wars. There, there have been, always been these things. But because he uses the picture of birth pains, you know that there will be intensity and great frequency. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The signs are obvious and have been over the centuries, but toward the end, they'll become more frequent more intense. So he says in verse 4, we'll just go through them briefly. Don't let anyone deceive you or mislead you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. So many come in the name of Jesus and, and they pretend to be the good shepherd. They pretend to be the Savior. And, and what always strikes me of any new cult any new cult gathering, uh, recent or old, uh, any gathering that is able to take the Bible and twist it in such a way where you follow man and not God, what, what always surprises me is that people follow and they're misled and they're deceived. They're convinced. You know, the latest one that's going around our city and has been is this group that says that God is a woman and a mother, and goes through all these, you know, they, they meet you at the DVD section of Walmart, they come to you in Starbucks, they meet you in the library, start up a conversation with you, and begin to, to have a rehearsed lie that come to you to draw them. Now, they, may, they, 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 they don't provide to you this phrase, I am the Messiah, but instead what they do is they offer you a system of salvation that replaces the Messiah. And every cold, every false teaching has it wrong with God. He says, don't be deceived. In the last days, more and more people are going to want you to follow them. They're going to declare they, that they are the way and the truth and the life. They're going to lead you to a system instead of a savior. And there always has been spiritual counterfeits claiming to be Messiah, but never like in our day. Someone did research in the last 60 years, over 1,500 people have proclaimed publicly that they are the Messiah. And many will come in my name, which will lead to the ultimate entrance of the Antichrist. 
where the final person that God predicts will come and say, I am your savior. And everyone will be looking for a savior. Even as we see the global crisis that we're in today. Notice in verse 6 he says, And you'll hear of wars, and you might remember this as rumors of wars, or here it says threats. But I looked up the word, and the word means rumor. It it means the the idea of of talking about war, and it's going to happen. But he says, don't panic. When you are hearing more wars and rumors of wars, don't panic. See that you're not troubled. Again, someone did the research and said that only 8% of recorded history exists without some kind of war happening between countries, between people. Wars have increased in the last 25 years. And the rumors of wars, new countries with nuclear weapons, the dangers of dirty nuclear bombs that don't need all the technology. In your day and age, you have the new threat of North Korea. In your day and age, you have the new threat of Iran. You, you have more and more uh, threats and rumors of just wiping out this increase, even in our own country, the increase of the current government to use force when necessary. It's talking about more and more and more and more. And you have China that has a standing army of hundreds of thousands. They also are nuclear. Pakistan has nuclear weapons. India has nuclear weapons. Wars and rumors of wars and threats of wars. Starting at World War I, someone calculated over 76,850,000 casualties in just 42 separate wars. And that's just a small sampling. Imagine the devastation of a nuclear disaster upon the globe. Not only that, verse 7, in the last days you'll find nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. There'll be nations rising up against nations. I think we can understand that. But now kingdoms against kingdoms. War and famine always go together. And our generation has seen uh, the worst famine conditions on the globe than ever before. And there'll be famines and, and then notice also earthquakes. Disease follows the, on the heels of malnutrition in war. And we know from Exodus, you Bible students, you know from the book of Exodus that God can send plagues and pestilence upon sinning people. These types of scourges will continue till the time of the end. Food sources will become contaminated. Immune systems will fail. And now we've had plagues and pestilences throughout history. And when something hits like a virus running rampant that completely flips your world upside down, in our generation, this is the first one we've ever experienced. And they keep warning. Again, I did a little bit of research and they, there's all kinds of different points of view on this. But on one article I read, uh, the, the author suggested that there are a at least a thousand more viruses just like COVID-19 ready to be released or ready to get out. And you know, there's always theories about bioweapons and even mistakes. I don't know if you saw the article, but there was an article recently that said monkeys escaped and ripped off some virus virals. Do you see that? It was just, whether it's true or not, who knows these days. 
But the idea of the precarious place in which we live, that's the facts, but the facts lead to the coming of Jesus Christ. You can get stuck in the fear and you can get stuck in the reality or you can acknowledge the fear and the reality and go, no, Lord, I know. I'm preparing my family for the coming of the Lord. I'm preparing my neighbors for the coming of the Lord. I'm preparing my own life for the coming of the Lord. So whatever life God gives me, I wanna live to the fullest with an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. The times are among us. Bioterrorism, chemical warfare, also plagues. I made a mistake, I missed a few, uh, a, I thought, it, I remembered it as a thousand, but I wrote it in my notes. Let me read to you what I put down in my notes. I should probably just stick to my notes. Ed, stick to your notes. Here's the phrase I, 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 I researched today. It's thought that there are one million viruses, sorry for the thousand, a million viruses that we know nothing about in the realms of bioterrorism, chemical warfare, and even plagues. Earthquakes, hey, they're on the rise as well. In 2019, there were 13,000 earthquakes recorded of a serious magnitude compared to just 8,000 back in 2009. The USGS uh, estimate that there are over 40 million earthquakes on the globe annually. Most go undetected and are on the rise and are not measured. Jesus says these are the beginning of sorrows. These are the beginning of sorrows. It's only the first, he says. It's only the first. Verse 9. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Don't, don't miss this. Don't put this together. Don't miss this. Many will come in my name and say I'm the Messiah. At the same time, many false prophets will come. So, so you've got these, these guys with a, and some gals with a Messiah complex but you also now have an infiltration of false teachers that are spreading false teaching, false prophets. They'll show up, they'll appear, and they'll deceive. The sad thing is, is they'll deceive many people. Sin will be rampant, verse 12, everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. So those that love God will be openly worshiping him. And they'll come under extreme severe scrutiny and distress in the last days. Believers will come under open vicious attack for their faith in Jesus Christ. Again, would you please not only contextualize this in our own country although I believe that's our first context. Don't, don't just look at and say, well, I know that this Supreme Court decision was then and I know this law. I don't want you to just see it just in our country, but understand it as a global emphasis. Like it's, this is happening around the world. You know as well as I do, many, many countries today, believers in many countries today have it a million times worse than you and I do. That they are greatly attacked and martyred and killed for their faith. Even today, I have, I have a couple things that I receive uh, as notifications. One is to pray for unreached people group. I get one every day. And also I get an update from the voice of the martyrs of somewhere around the world where there is martyrdom taking place. 
So, so yes, things are getting darker in our country, but I don't, our country's not the center of the Bible. The center of the Bible is Israel. You guys realize that? That's, it's not our country, although our country is very important. As God has used the United States in amazing ways to propagate the gospel, to get that very, very prosperous, very successful country. We have our issues. We, we have our problems. We have our sins. We have a need to repent. Absolutely. But the United States is not the center of the world. We've got to keep our eyes on Israel. God, he does everything from the epicenter, Jerusalem. And so even on my Instagram feed, I subscribe to, to guys that take pictures of Israel. So every day I'm reminded, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for the peace of our city as we did today. I pray for the peace of our country. I, I pray that even as Pastor Keegan led us uh, in, in that sense of the requesting God to minimize the violence for the sake of your lives and my lives, for the sake of the gospel, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem because the Bible commands me to. And I, re- I want to remember the epicenter of God's will being accomplished on the earth. But we are facing, I think, more and more open, vicious attacks for our faith. I also don't want you to simply take this and politicize it. I want you to take this and understand that in the last days, listen to what Jesus said, you'll be arrested you'll be persecuted, and verse 9, you'll be killed. You want to circle that, and right next to it, martyred. When you think of martyred, a person that's martyred for their faith is a person that has lost their life because they committed to not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, Jesus puts it globally when he says, you will be hated all over the world for this reason, because you're my followers. Can I just remind you, have you ever been misunderstood or made fun of on a simple level because you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Has anybody made fun of you because you believe in the Bible? Has anybody made fun of you? They come in talking about the gossip of some television show or talking about the gossip. And you go, you know what the Bible says? And they go, oh, and they make fun of you and marginalize you. That's just a small little partial taste of what it's like to be hated, what it's like to be marginalized what it's like to be dismissed, what it's like to be made fun of. I can't tell you how often we, I see uh, and I hear of people making fun of us as Christians because of our beliefs. And the reason being is because the Bible says is that they're blind. They don't understand. They're not spiritually alive. I, like Paul or Saul of Tarsus, have the same testimony that, that I would wreak havoc of other believers personally and I would make fun of them and I would ridicule them and, and I have memories of of times of knocking by I, I remember I remember times that are just like Paul said it, I'm just or Peter might have said it I'm ashamed I was a blasphemer like Saul like I was blind myself and those that are blind to the truth be, just simply because you've chosen to follow Jesus so here's the thing because we like to be liked on a smaller scale, because we like to be liked, we try to do things to get out from under that. We, we compromise, we, we say things we shouldn't be saying, we go places we shouldn't be. Why? Because we don't want to have this come upon us. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about ramping that up and notching it up many, many times to the point of death. 
And so you can see when you're testing on smaller things how important it is to be faithful in the little things because bigger things will come. The early church suffered horrific persecution. There were 10 major waves of persecutions from the Roman government. Christians were hung. They were sawn in two. They were burned at the stakes. They were used as living torches. And it was just a preview of what was to come in the last days. The Antichrist will decimate Christians who refuse to take the mark of the beast. They were literally, according to Revelation, will literally lose their heads for refusing to take the mark. Those in the middle of the tribulation will have to choose to believe at the loss of their lives. But he says in verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And in Revelation chapter 7, we know there are 144,000 Jewish evangelists. How will people believe in the tribulation period? There will be evangelists that God has already preordained that will go forth with the gospel and people will believe them. We read also in the book of Revelation, two witnesses will be seen and known globally and have a powerful witness for Christ. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news, it says in verse 14, about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Make no mistake about this church as we head out. God's heart is for the gospel to be preached. Do you guys agree with me? How about you guys online on the radio? You agree with me? God's heart is for the gospel to be preached. So, so far we agree. Let me add one more phrase. God's heart is for the gospel to be preached, ready? From your mouth and your life. Or, I can put it a different way, God's heart His desire is for the gospel to be preached from our mouths, from our lives. Shining the light of the gospel. Learning to reason with one another. Learning to talk about things. Learning to listen. Make no mistake, God's heart is for you and me to be ambassadors of Christ ministers of reconciliation the ministry of bringing people together in Christ Romans chapter 10 verse 15 says how shall they preach unless they're sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things when we open up downstairs again and those of you that normally come in downstairs hang out at res coffee you'll be reminded of the wall and a commitment we've made in the last year. It wasn't original to us. We just loved the way it was phrased in this other church, so we adopted it ourselves. I think it's always been our heart, but we've put it on the walls, and we want to be reminded it. We've painted it, and we've put it on the walls, and, and it's simply this, that we will do anything short of sin to reach the lost. And that's a commitment you've got to make in your own mind to think, I'm going to do anything short of sin. And and it's a great phrase because nobody, none of us want to cross the line and sin. None of us want to compromise. That's great. But I want you to consider this facet. If you commit to do anything short of sin, you will probably change your tactics and techniques that you have never done before because you've never thought about it that way before. You may adopt a new approach 
that you never thought about before. You were uncomfortable with it because, you know, I'm not sure, and maybe that, and yet it's, and, and the line now, the line is to reach the lost. I think other churches have put it this way, reach the lost at any cost. Well, not quite. Not quite, because we don't want to pay the cost of any sinful. You know, we don't, you don't use the world's philosophy is uh, the ends always justify the means. That's not true. The end doesn't justify the means. God prescribes the means, and he brings us to the end. The world has it all different. But if you have chosen to say, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to think, pray about that. I'm willing to sign on to that. I'm willing to, 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 to erase the lines that I've had before in reaching the lost, and, and, then, and, and I'm willing to move the line up now to sin. What that means is the space where your line was drawn before, now to the line of sin, you've never traveled before. It's going to be very uncomfortable as you try something new. You're just like, I don't know. I don't even know if I should do this. Now, God's not going to lead you to go against your conscience. God's not going to lead you to uh, go against your convictions. (laughs) But let me suggest this. And and I'm sure you guys can testify to this. Just, Just be ready. You ready? You ready for this? God might change your convictions. (laughs) He's not going to change the Bible, but he may change your convictions based upon the Bible. And certainly, if you think about it, I'm certain every single believer in here at one time or another have changed their convictions because you've matured and grown in the things of God. And you're different. You're becoming more in the image of Christ. Like this is is a hard one for me, um, but it's, it's a Jesus one. Jesus was so involved with sinners that he was accused of being one. Now, answer this out loud, church. Was Jesus a sinner? So what was it that they saw in him that made them commit, accuse him of being a sinner? It was his proximity. It was guilt by association. Jesus, I mean, he's the ultimate. He's the ultimate one to come from heaven leaving glory, taking on a human body like yours and mine to dwell among us as John, Pastor John was reminding me on the radio today. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And God with us changes lives. Starts with us and doesn't end with us, but it ends with every successive generation of believers. The end times stir you up. You think, man, the, way the earthquakes and pestilence, all, well, where is it going to lead me? It's going to lead me to share the gospel, to put context, to give context to everything that you see in this world. Then now you can see what a, what a danger it is to get caught up in things that aren't eternal, that don't matter to the soul of men and women and doesn't bring a person into a humble, repentant relationship with the God that created them image bearers, people created in the image of God. Amazing. So Father, we ask uh, for your wisdom to flow in us. In the last days, it, we, we get kind of t- caught up in the, in the details of all the events because we can open up our new cycle and we could, we could like open up Drudge Report and then we can open up the Bible and go, yep, yep, yep. Look at these plagues of locusts. Look at this virus. Look at the, yep, 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 yep. And then like, okay, so we got all these yeses, God. What do we do? And I pray for an outpouring of our, 
of your spirit upon us as a church that whatever changes you're wanting to accomplish in us, we would cooperate with you. We would not be stuck in how we've responded and how we've looked at things as we always, we would learn to love and respect people on both sides, like, like we would choose, like, like in, um, when, when the angel of the Lord came to Joshua and, and Joshua said, whose side are you on? The angel said, no, because he represented you. No sides. And that's hard for us, Lord, because whatever the division might be, whatever the pain might be, we, we have a way of taking sides. So God, forgive us where we have diluted the gospel forgive us where we've missed opportunities or just haven't been faithful lord forgive us and our nation for our sins forgive us as a church for our sins just get that picture of you cleaning house like you're almost you're flipping the tables in our own church oh it may not be money changing tables it might be heart issues it might be attitudes. It might be idols and idolatry. And you're flipping the tables. And we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. We're defensive. And I just pray, I just think that that's a word from you, Lord, that those that are defensive right now, that you would reveal to them why. Why are you so defensive? Or as one of the brothers shared in our staff meeting today, you know, why do we want to be like the rich young ruler, leaving worse from your presence than when we came. Because we won't let go or whatever it is. For him it was money. Help us, Lord. We just admit to you our human weakness. And if you're here in this room or online that you've never given your life to Jesus, like you, this is, these are the times. And if you're not convinced yet, I have more next week, Lord willing. And if you're not convinced yet, there'll be another news story. If you're not convinced yet, there'll be another person that you start working with that tells you about the love of God. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never repented of your sins, I want to invite you to do just that. So of course, if you're in the room, I'm going to invite you to respond publicly. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. And I want to acknowledge you. And I want to lead you in a prayer to talk with God. But I also know we have far more people watching online than we do here. And so I want to make sure that you're not forgotten. You guys watching this on YouTube or Facebook or our app. Those of you listening on the radio or this is a radio message like that will be delivered in years from now if we're allowed to. And, and you, you're captivated by the love of God in a dark and dreary world. Here's what you do. You ask God to forgive you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So do that right now. Say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me and die for me. And I receive the free gift of salvation. And I dedicate my, my life to following you. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. 
That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.